Sports.com podcast. We often come to you Sunday morning, but we wanted to wait until we heard Clay Helton's comments tonight, kind of reflecting back on that game and uh, more specifically on the quarterback position. And I'm, I'm glad we did because we're going to get into Clay's comments about where USC goes from here at quarterback. But first, I got to tell you, we're running out of time. That promo, that special deal we've been touting for a while. The 60-day free trial. You still have time to get it, but it ends at the end of this month. So for the rest of October, sign up using promo code USC60 and get a 60-day free trial, access to all our premium content, all the breaking news that Adam's been, been dropping all week long. I mean, all week. We He was ahead of the curve on everything. He had the inside line on what was happening with JT Daniels as he walked through the concussion protocol. He was the first to report that Marvell Tell would be out this week, which was kind of a surprise late in the week. He had more breaking news today about two players being suspended for the game. So get all that, get all of our insight. Look at it, one. Well, that was last week, yeah. I'm, I'm just like saying, like, in the last seven days you've done this. But if you want to go back eight days, and yeah, Lynn Swan, too. <laughs> Um, all the, all the recruiting news we had, uh, we had Chris Steele breaking down his decommitment this week. We've, uh, had a ton of content. We talked to five or six commits this week, just kind of getting their reaction on the state of things. So there's a lot to be had if you are a subscriber and you can be one for the next two months for free with the promo code. And you know what? I I know you've heard this spiel a bunch of times, but you're going to miss it when it's gone and it's almost gone. So you, you'll come to long for this part of the podcast that will no longer be. Yeah. But as it is, we, we have plenty to discuss. And like I said, I wanted to go back and rewatch that game and rewatch Sears' performance. And I wanted to hear what Clay had to say a day later. Of course, Jack Sears making his first start, 20 of 28, 235 yards, two touchdowns, no picks, one fumble miscue on an option pitch, uh, started really slow, finished really strong. I think everyone was mostly impressed with what they saw. Um, any first blush opinions you want to give us, Adam, before we get into clay? Yeah, great job, Jack. I was cautiously optimistic for him because there are different things that he did compared to JT that I've always liked. You know, a little bit more mobile, and I thought that might be a good fit for this offensive line. Uh, a little bit more careful, um, you know, where you know JT kind of running into some interceptions because he can make some throws that that are special, and and therefore will take a few more chances. And this team really couldn't afford turnovers, so I did think that there were some things that he'd bring to the table that could be an upgrade. But I did not expect him to have what I think is fair to say the best quarterback performance of the season. And and it was his first one ever. I mean, not just first start. He had not played as a Trojan. He had not played for them in the time that he's been there. He played really, really well. In fact, he played well enough for them to win and had put them in position to win. 
and they did not win, not because of him. Yeah, that's that's an exact quote almost that Brian Ellis gave me after the game. He goes, that outcome was not on, not on this kid. Um, I was, I mean, I, I wanted to see him do well. I was intrigued by the new storyline. I was not overly optimistic during the game. We talked about that last week. And for the first two quarters, I pretty much saw what I was afraid I was going to see. I just thought he looked jittery, um, was just not comfortable, was, was off on some easy throws, and then just does a total 180, finds his confidence. And, and, and again, that's all to be expected. That's totally fair for a guy stepping in midseason who's been the third-string QB all year, has never played in a college game. That's normal stuff. So that, that was not a criticism, but I'm saying for two quarters, I thought he was on track to play the game that I was afraid he was going to play. And then it all pivoted, and it, it started on that final drive at the end of the first half where he opens the drive with a 22-yard scramble. Uh, but that's not the play that I think got him going because a couple plays later, he he sailed one high over Vaughn's in the flat. It was that touchdown pass to Pittman at the end where he rolls right, Somehow, the Arizona State defense forgets Michael Pittman is on the field. But it still took a nice throw to get that ball where it was. He gets the touchdown, and then from there, I just saw a more decisive guy, a more confident guy. And once it got rolling, I think I think maybe even the coaching staff learned something about Jack Sears Saturday. Yeah. I, I think there's a quarterback controversy that... Clay Helching wants no part of, and and that's why he made the announcement Sunday evening that the moment that JT Daniels is cleared, he will reclaim his spot as a starting quarterback, and that's going to happen this week. JT will get cleared, and he'll start versus Oregon State, and I don't know that that's the best decision right now. Well, let's read Clay's comments, and we'll get into that more in depth. So, so I asked the question to him. I said, what, what is your plan at quarterback once JT is cleared? His exact quote was, obviously, if he is cleared, he will start in the game. If he's not, then we'll go just like we did the last game. And then Joey Kaufman, our buddy, followed up and asked him if what he had seen from Sears didn't make him evaluate any depth chart considerations there. And he said, I'm confident in JT and what he's done for our football team. I'm excessively proud. I said it last night, but I'll say it again, of what Matt and Jack have done for our football team when JT has been out. I think it has been exceptional. It's obvious that both guys not only can, can compete at this level, but be successful at this level, and that's great to see. Um, he also later said that Sears' performance reminded everyone of why they recruited him. I, my takeaway from that is that I don't know that they feel that JT is that much better than Jack Sears for the rest of the season. I think they've made the determination, though, that JT is the future at that position for this program, and they're committed to seeing that through and seeing his development through the season. Yeah, absolutely. That That's their future quarterback, and that's why they're not going to play around with a week-to-week, like, let's see, you know, who plays how well, and and there, there's there's really no competition. It's basically if JT is available, then he's a quarterback, and if he's not, then he won't be. The fact that you asked about Jack Sears 
And the answer is, I'm thankful for what Jack and Matt Fink did. Like to even bring Matt Fink back into the the conversation when that's not a relevant talking point at the moment. Matt Fink, of course, is injured. He did come in and and have a nice quarter there versus uh, Utah, but it was a very different type of quarter and in a very different type of situation. Jack Sears might be the best quarterback in the team. We don't know, but if I'm Clay Helking, I need to find out. I wouldn't be so convinced that he's not. And I look long and hard at that video because if you do, I think you might see that there's a possibility that JT Daniels is not the best quarterback on the team. There's a possibility, and you know, I'm I am not one to be stubborn in my opinions, and clearly I had. Uh, I was leaning very strongly that way entering this game, and I will say that Jack Sears opened my eyes a little bit and and impressed me. And I do think there's a lot of value in having a mobile quarterback in this day and age in college football. And I'm, I'm going to read you one more Clay quote here, just in full. Um, he said his ability to create was evident in that game. That's one of the things that really jumped out at me. I know how good of an athlete he is, but when you see it live in person in a game situation where he's dodging tackles, it reminds you of why we signed the kid. He's very, he's a very talented arm with mobility. That's the quote to me that I thought inferred that maybe he surprised them too, in a way. And Clay also talked about how, you know, in, in practice when you're not going live with the quarterbacks, that's the one thing that gets lost is that, escapability and ability to extend plays because you're just whistling things down right away. And yeah. so I think that, well, that's, it's that's not pr- real too. It's not just the whistle. It's the fact that they're not going to tackle you and yeah. you're trying to make plays in the pocket, but there's no fear of getting hit. Yeah. And, and, and so that they saw what he can actually do in real situations like that. I, I do still think that JT is the best quarterback for the future, but I will agree with you. It's definitely a conversation, and I can't say I'm 100% sure. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't know either. You know, right? If I were uh, guessing, I would guess that JT is too. But this season is actually a perfect opportunity in my mind to find that out, given where it's at right now. There's not a lot on the line, and, and we'll talk about Clay in those terms as well in a little bit. But in terms of where the team can go, they don't control their own destiny. They're not winning this division and the conference and going to the Rose Bowl. They have they have games here where I think they're, they're it'd be it'd be prudent of them to to play both kids. I, I think that these games allow for it. Who who they're gonna play? Oregon State. Cal, UCLA, especially those three opponents. Uh, I mean, maybe by Notre Dame, you, you have a little bit more figured out. But I think those first three afford you the opportunity to to play both of them. I just wouldn't be so stubborn with anything. Uh, and and we, that applies to basically everything. I would, I'd be questioning <laughs> everything right now. It's all on doing. the table. Yeah, yeah. At running back, at quarterback, I mean, at re- a receiver. I think those things are kind of clear. Offensive line, I, I would be looking at hard. Uh, on defense, they've had to rotate and they've, they've had to 
to just, you know, find people that are healthy. So that's a different conversation right now, with, with especially in the defensive backfield. But there are very few spots that, to me, are locked up. And quarterbacks should not be one of them. Well, let me ask you this. Do you think it's at all a consideration for the coaching staff how JT would react yeah. to being benched yes. and what the long-term ramifications would be? Because when you have a really highly touted ballyhooed guy like that and you commit to him and then pull back, that doesn't always play out well. And, and I'm with you. I think that's maybe a huge reason why they are going to be, they're going to stick with him and, and not even see what the alternative is over a longer sample size. Well, I think you're absolutely right. And I think that's the wrong approach. You can't coach scared. They did that with Max Brown and therefore basically punted on the early part of that 2016 season by not playing the best quarterback. And it cost them a potential shot at a national title. And now that's not even the stakes. But yes, you're right. If they do not commit to JT, then there's a chance that he would leave at the end of the year. But at the same time, JT needs to play better. He wasn't playing really well the last couple of weeks. And I, it wasn't all on him, but at the end of the day, individually, if you're grading him, you would not grade him very well against Utah, against Colorado. There were a few games there in this season where he just wasn't that good. And and so you, you have a competition, and you win the job. They both get to play. They both have an opportunity, and then one of them wins. Yeah. Yeah, no, I definitely think that his accuracy has, has waned over the course of the season. I will just throw this out there. It's it does really skew the conversation and the debate when the most recent game for both quarterback is JT going against what I would say is the best defense they've faced all season in Utah. And Jack Sears playing against a much softer Arizona State team. Uh, I don't know. It's softer? I, I wouldn't go that far. I know they're not Utah, I, I, of course. And they, they were at the Coliseum. But ASU actually, if you look at their Pac-12 ranking, they're, they're pretty good defensively. And it hadn't allowed any team to even get into the 30s all year. They're respectable. They're, they're, they're definitely respectable. But that, that Utah team just manhandled USC in most every phase. They did. Uh, yeah. And that, that's that's a really hard game to judge anybody on. And while while I played the role earlier in the season, I am no longer looking to be a JT Daniels apologist. He's definitely struggling. But comparing that Utah game to this game is is a really tough comparison to make. Uh, I'm not saying anything. I'm not disagreeing with anything you said. Though I, I think there's definitely a conversation to be had there. Well, that's why you let them play because we don't know enough mm-hmm. about either one of them. I mean, yeah. it's not like JT's been playing for two years and we can just say, look, he's not good enough. Or that Jack has been playing that long and we know that he's good enough. I want to see both of them. That was kind of my point last week when JT wasn't practicing and hadn't cleared the concussion protocol yet, but initially the coaches did believe that he would and therefore had already committed in their mind to using him the moment that he came back and it ended up not working out that way, and he did not come back, and they had to kind of, 
you know, <laughs> change course and, and flip a script in the middle of the week to Jack Sears. I thought that for the week, Jack was probably the better option. And look at how he played. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I would love to see what he would do against another team or just just, just in more action, just get, get more on tape. Because I, I still don't know. I still don't know what he would have done in the Stanford game or what he would have done in the Washington State game. I, I just don't have a, a, a full confidence or sense in projecting that. So I, I'd be highly curious to see what he does and give him more opportunity. But for the reasons we mentioned before, I don't sense that that's going to happen. No, no, it's not going to happen. I'll tell you that right now. They're all in on JT, and, and this goes back a ways to the moment that they figured out that he could reclassify and that he was coming. Uh-huh. All right. Then it, that was that was his job. You know, Sam Darnold was leaving, and JT was coming, and that was going to be their next three or four years. And, and that's why they declined Shea Patterson. Shea Patterson was transferring, and he contacted USC. And he said, can I come and be your quarterback? And they told him, thanks, but no thanks. Yeah. We have a guy. We have, we have a kid reclassifying. He's going to be our starting quarterback next fall. And I, I didn't agree with that either. And I don't agree with this. A couple of the things in particular that I wanted to, to go back to with Jack that really impressed me, his decision-making was really good. And and not just like checking down and, and being overly conservative, but just not really throwing... It, there weren't many balls that I thought like that, that even could have been picked off. That's a good point. I, I would say, yeah, his... His real mistakes were of the accuracy variety and mostly early on, uh, not so much where he was going with the ball. Yeah, the, the, the judgment was good. Yeah, he might have been off on a couple throws for sure, but his judgment was good. And then the sacks, I thought, I figured, I, I basically assumed that he would be sacked you know, four or five times and be running for his life. But because he's a quick guy, you know, uh, he's, he's fast in a different way than Matt Fink. Um, I think he's actually kind of like more instinctive. Now, if they, were, if they were running a race against each other, then Fink will win. Fink is really fast, straight line. But in terms of just like football fast and, and feeling something and getting to a spot, uh, particularly while in the pocket and, and coming out of the pocket... That, that's where uh, Brian Ellis has said that, that Jack is even faster than Fink. And, and there's no point in even mentioning Daniels in that conversation. And so Jack had, he was sacked twice in the first half, but then not for the rest of the game. And so even, even he made an adjustment there. And, and he threw a lot in that second half. He threw, uh, I think, 17 times in that half. And, and he only threw one pass in the first quarter. And so, you know, out of his 28 attempts, 27 came after the first quarter. Yeah, and that, that one was the screen pass to Bayless. Um, I rewatched the game, and one of the points the announcers made, uh, I wouldn't say it was a great broadcast for them, as they called Los Angeles the Bay Area, <laughs> and uh, had some other glaring gaffes. But, but one uh, astute point they made was it looked like 
Sears was kind of on a two-second count, and at two seconds, he knew he had to get himself out of the pocket and reassess his options, and and more or less stuck to that for most of the game. Yeah, and I think because he's just a different kind of player and doesn't have as good of an arm and and isn't looking to to hit a home run on every play, I think he'll he'll respect that count more than, than JT will. JT's been taking way too many sacks, and that's how he got injured, is that he held onto the ball too long. Now, yes, like, Utah did beat up USC up front, but on the particular play where he got knocked out and on a couple other plays in that game, it wasn't that someone just came in untouched or, or was unblocked. It, it was JT holding the ball too long. And that was another area that I figured Jack would probably struggle in. But what he chose to do, if he couldn't find someone, is that he got out of there. You know, he, he ran. He ran a lot. It, it, that part kind of reminded me of Sam Darnold early when he took over. And, and he would run a lot. And you knew that, okay, he's running because he kind of has to. Because he doesn't know what to do yet. Doesn't know where to go. But if he can be smart about that, which I thought he was. You know, I think he got down and he, he slid. And I don't remember him taking too many big hits. There, there might have been one in there. Mm-hmm. But would Darnold kick a few more, more than you'd like. And, and of course, that opened him up to fumbles. But Darnold's a bigger guy and probably felt a little bit more confident doing that. Jack is not as broad. You know, he's just he's a smaller guy, bigger than JT though, but just not a not a big guy himself either. And I I just felt like he kind of knew his body. He knew he had a he had a clock, like you mentioned, and he knew what he couldn't do. And he, he knew what he could do. And and I, I felt like that's where uh, he kind of separated himself from JT in this game. And. Uh, uh, I'm not trying to get ahead of myself here. I'm really not. I'm just, I've watched him for two years practice. So I, I kind of had an idea of the things that he could do. And I, I had some ideas about what might be a challenge for him. And areas in which I thought would be really hard for him, he played smart in those ways. And he kind of minimized the damage there because he knew his limitations. Yeah, I mean, you're intrigued, and I am too. And I'll reiterate, at the moment, the forced answer, I still think JT's the best quarterback of the future. But like I said, I'm not as sure as I was before. And it was a really impressive in-game turnaround for Jack. And you have to imagine, you go into that game, and you're feeling that this is my one shot. Like, I have to seize this opportunity. Yeah. Or it may not come again. And, and and you start off in just a back-breaking fashion with that, that fumbled option pitch. And and really... It's a stupid call. Like, can, can, we get, can we talk about that for a moment? Mm-hmm. Because, Going to his left? Yeah, okay. So that is something that they've worked on, but really not in a couple of months. That came from training camp. Uh, you would see it with him and would think because that they could do that where, where JT is not a threat to run but because he's not getting the first team reps and you know he's working with the scout team at times and and really for the last two months he's been doing whatever they needed but not 
not in practice being prepared to play that weekend. Up until this last week. It was the first time that he worked with the first team since the third week of August. And and so even working on that play in this week to, to put him in that situation on the first series of his first game, I thought was just really short-sighted. I get that you want to kind of lean on his physical gifts and you want to throw a different look at Arizona State than what they've seen on film. Uh, maybe later, maybe a different part of the field, right? Like, not when you're kind of backed up. Yeah, uh, that's a great point. Not in the first quarter. I, I don't know. I, I just didn't like any of it. That That's not really an easy play to execute either. It, it, it takes a rapport and a chemistry and a timing with the running back. I, I just would would save it and, and, and probably not even use it at all in that first game, but definitely not in that situation. Uh, I just don't really know what they're thinking sometimes. Uh, in fact, that, that kind of reminds me of another point I wanted to make here. I want to ask you, did it feel like to you that there might have been a different individual calling plays uh, maybe midway through that game or even late in that second quarter and from there on? To me, I, I saw two different, like, play sheets in that yeah, game. Yeah, I, I think and I expected they, they would just start very conservatively with Jack, and that's why he had one pass attempt in the first quarter, and it was a screen pass, and they wanted to build some early confidence. And I think they, they probably had planned all along to open things up as it went along, and they had their, their gadget plays in, the the double pass, the flea flicker. So, no, I'm not going to buy into the conspiracy theory that the play calling changed uh, personnel middle of the game. Well, I, they had not even done that play with the receiver or the flea flicker. That, like, those are two other plays that that aren't unique to Jack Sears. The pitch, sure, that that's because he's in the game. But the other two have nothing to do with him. They just we they haven't been doing that. I know, but I think they probably felt they needed some extra elements this time. And and Clay even said Sunday night that they felt they had to strike big plays in special teams to to balance things out because they were expecting they couldn't just go in and get a traditional. Uh, I don't even want to say what a traditional game plan for them is, but they felt that they needed some extra wrinkles to offset Sears' inexperience. Okay. So. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting conspiracy theory. No, I'm not going to buy in, but, but some of our listeners might. Well, uh, it, it didn't come from nowhere. You know who does that stuff, right? That's a Jeff Brom, Western Kentucky thing. Oh, I see what you're getting at. You know who came from Western Kentucky? I do, I do. Uh, Coach Brian Ellis. Yeah, I'm, I'm just not going to buy into this one at this point, but... It's interesting to monitor. Yeah, well, I, I think it's something that uh, will be interesting to find out because there's been so much talk for pretty much the entire season about what's Clay's role in the play calling, mm-hmm. and is it solely T. Martin? And now there's a third figure involved, I believe. In Brian Ellis, I just don't think that it was a coincidence that they started doing different stuff 
and and it, and it worked. <laughs> That's the other part about it. Whatever they were doing, whoever was doing it, whoever was pulling the strings, it worked. But what we've seen for a lot of the season has not worked. Well, I will say that for whatever it's worth, Clay went out of his way without being asked to praise T's game plan. So Yeah, he does uh, that every week. He does that when they get shut down too. <laughs> <laughs> I put no you know, stock into that comment. But to circle it back to Jack Sears, uh, just to finish the point I was making. Sure. Um, just, just really impressive to see a guy make that turnaround mid-game when everything early on was work, sliding against him in a game that, again, he probably felt that if I don't, if I, if I miss this opportunity, if I don't take advantage of this, it's not coming again. To have the poise and the confidence to turn that thing around was really impressive and I do think if he gets another start, another game whatever initial nerves or jitters he had to get over I think would be much less or not there because he's his quote after the game was this solidifies that I can play at this level and I think that's that's truly what his takeaway from that game was that he proved to himself if if regardless of anybody else, he proved to himself that he could play at this level, and if he plays again, he'll take that confidence into that opportunity. Yeah, yeah, that's a safe uh, conclusion, I feel like, to draw from what happened. Uh, He did prove that, but I think he also proved that he could be the best quarterback on the team, that he deserves that opportunity to show that more. I think that he accomplished much more than I can play college football. They were trailing 24-7 in this game. Yeah. And and, and, and then they should have won the game. And that, that He made a perfect pass. That, that, was one of the, that was one of the prettiest passes all season. Yeah, and, and JT's had a couple of them, too. You know, it, it, yep. I heard someone say like, that was the, the best pass of the year. I'm like, uh, I don't know. I, I think JT's made a handful that are very similar to that throw. I'm not gonna just throw them out you know, throw them out because he's injured and I think that Jack could be better. Uh, I'm trying to be objective here. And, and that, so my final question for you on this topic, you're Clay Helton and yep. and JT's cleared. Okay, he's cleared on Monday. Let's just say he's cleared on Monday and you basically have the whole week. What would you do? I personally would go back to the JT, but have him on a short leash. And if he struggles, I know I have a guy that can come in, and that's when I give Jack a chance. I don't have JT lose his job over one week being out with a concussion if I've already made the conclusion that he's the quarterback of the future and a better quarterback. I I don't think it's misplaced to show a little faith in that at this point. So... You said short leash, meaning JT would have to struggle before you would remove him in, you know, in the coming week. Yeah, it's, it's definitely no longer a given that he just rides out of game. If they were to come out, uh, I mean, I don't know that Oregon State is the best litmus test, right. but in a future game, if they were to come out and fall behind by two scores early and he's throwing two bad picks like we've seen him do, at this point now, whereas maybe I wouldn't have two weeks ago, now I would make that hook. I would make that change. But I 
because if you go to Jack Sears now, then what's the leash with him? Is he is he just the guy for the rest of the season, or or is he going to get pulled when he throws an interception? Like you're entering into an interesting territory at that point if you're basing it off of watching a guy play two good quarters. Yeah, no, I, 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 I don't think there are two doors here. You're, you're making out to be A or B. There's another door here that, that, that I would walk through, and that would be I'm playing both of you. I'm playing. I'm committing to playing both of you in this game. You're both going to play. Uh, I wouldn't go like series for series. I wouldn't do it that way. I would probably go like a quarter, and and you know, every, not every quarter is uh, created equally. So it might bleed into another quarter. It might, it might but like I want to see you in multiple series in a row, and and see what you do with that. Because that's how you ultimately play quarterback. You wouldn't play one series and come out. You you play the whole game. But I, I'm not going to just give you a whole game and then give the next kid the other game. I'm going to give you a portion of the game consistently. And then I'm going to play the other kid. And it's not going to be dependent on whether you play well or not. I'm going to play both of you. Well, if ever there was a game for that, this would be the game. I think all these games are that, though, basically. Cal and UCLA, too. So, now, not that you have to carry on the experiment for that long. I just need to see more. I need to see more of Jack. Because, now, Jack said he's not transferring. And even if you if you take him for his word that he's not, then your best quarterback still might be on the bench then. And you're only going to play him when who you think is the best quarterback gets injured? That's essentially what you're going to be doing. You're going to keep JT there. They're not going to just bench him because he doesn't play well. He'd have to get injured again. That's, that, in my mind, that's what they would do. That, their only way they're going back to Jack is if JT got injured, not if he no, doesn't play well. I think, yeah, no, I, I, I think you're right. But I, 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 was telling you, I, right, I was telling you what I would do, but I think you're absolutely right. I think I think Clay's comment more or less affirmed that yeah. tonight. And I, I I knew that before he said that. that. That's where they're at with him. That's not where I'm at. I want to see both. I want to see more of JT. I want to see more of Jack. You have four games, probably. You have five games. They're going to go to a bowl game. You have five games to work with here. And I'm going to take all the time I need. And maybe it won't take that long. Maybe it will take all of it. I don't know. I can't predict the future here. I really don't know who the better quarterback is. But the last thing I want is my best quarterback to either transfer or to not be playing. I, I can't disagree with you. I, I don't disagree with you. I just is not my first reaction. But I think you make a very compelling point, and I think there's a lot of people that that do. Uh, Absolutely agree with you, and that I probably want to see Jack regardless. So we'll see. Um, let's move on to another Clay Helton comment tonight that I'm, has already been a talking point. And I'm sure will uh, create a lot of reaction. He was asked. And this is not the first time he's been asked this. He's been asked this in a variety of ways throughout the season. But on his Sunday uh, conference call with the media, he was asked. Has there been any thought to making significant changes to try and get this team back on track? His response. You know, I think we're really close. We lost a close battle with the depleted personnel, 
And right now I'm focusing on this game, how we get better this game. And when we get done with these last four games, I'll evaluate everything and see what we need to do. But right now I'm more focused on trying to beat Oregon State. I I know what Clay's trying to do when he answers the question that way. Uh, obviously his whole approach is one of consistent positivity and trying to uplift his team. But I, I think he may be – he may not have a full perception – for the way he's viewed right now. Because the one thing that no one wants to hear there and that he shouldn't have said is that we're really close. Because that's just going to feed into all... everyone who thinks that he is out of touch with what's going on and doesn't have a handle on the situation. Yeah, not to be a jerk, because it's not productive here, but what do you think he means... I wish I could have asked him, but it, that wouldn't be the setting to do it uh, because he's, he's talking. You're not able to kind of, you know, go back and forth with him. Uh, it's a conference call. But I would ask him really close to what, and not, I'm not being sarcastic there. I think I know what he means. I want to ask you first, what do you think he meant by really close? Close to what? Yeah, I think he's looking at it with a very myopic lens and, and saying, we almost won Saturday despite playing our third-string quarterback. And anyone removed from his vantage point will say, well, you should have beat Arizona State, and it shouldn't have been down to the wire, and it shouldn't have hinged on one play or a couple of plays. And even beating Arizona State does not mean you're close to any of the real goals this program has. But I think he was looking at it really in the framework of what happened yesterday. But okay, but you meaning really close to winning that game? You think that's what he meant? I I think that's what he meant. Okay, I didn't hear it that way, and maybe he did mean it that way. I don't know. That's why I'd like to ask him. I think he meant really close to contention for the division. I think he feels like, yeah, like, you know, we're not in last. We can we can still win this division now. And we want to win the division because by winning the division, we go to the conference title game. And it's not the highest bar. Now, you, you're not going to win the national title without winning the division first. But you can also win the division with without an impressive record. Yeah, you know, you know uh, what I mean. You can. Just I, 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 I will say backdoor into that division title. He was asked about where he thinks they stand in the division and what he's, his message to the team is, and he seemed pretty resigned to the reality. He said, "Well, we're a game behind Utah now, and they have the tiebreaker, so we've got to get a lot of help." So yeah. his, his, his answer to that question was pretty realistic, and he did seem pretty resigned to what that situation is. So, so I, I don't know that he meant that he thinks they're close to winning the division. But at this point, maybe he thinks in the in the big picture scope of the program they are, but I don't think he means at this point of the season they're close to doing that. Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant, though. I meant okay, about the big picture. You. Yeah, it's going to take some help. They're all aware of that. Technically, they're only a game out, and if Utah lost a couple or there was a three-way tie, then they could end up 
winning this division, even this year. That That's still on the table because there are enough games left that it can happen. Uh, it's not even, like, far-fetched. It, it, I know it's not, like, a target right now. It can't be. But my point is, I feel like that is kind of where he's kind of placed a target in general for the team. Is I mean, that was the, the rhetoric, really, from early in the year, you know, after they got beat by Stanford. And, and then when they ended up winning a couple in a row in conference, we control our own destiny. That's right. right. I mean, what destiny, though? You're not going to the national title game. You're not going to be selected for the Final Four. You do not control your own destiny. You only do at the beginning of the year if you win out. And maybe with a loss, you still do. But after, after they were one and two, they no longer controlled it. But they, he was still saying that they did. So what destiny did they control? They controlled the division. So when he says we're really close, I hear, like, yeah, we, we won the, the conference last year. And we probably won't this year, but we're close. No, you, you're probably right. I mean, he probably does look at it that way. I just think that was the one thing he shouldn't have said in that response. Oh, no, 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 no. That, <laughs> right, no, if I'm, if I'm running PR for him, please do not say that because it just feels so, like so much of a constellation. And, and people, people are antsy. I did not, you make this comment early in the year and it ended up being really shrewd. And and I thought it was a bit premature, but you were talking about him losing people, and oh yeah, because you 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 had a different perspective, and, and you were fresh, but me covering the last two years and everything that they accomplished, and also kind of figuring that the way this team was set up right now, the way the roster was, I kind of thought they were going to be an eight and four team, and when they fell to one and two. Although I thought they were going to beat Texas because I didn't know that Texas was as good as they are. I did think that this team is not going real far. They'll probably win the division, but it it will be a a different kind of division title than it was last year. Where they beat up everybody in the division and ended up winning the conference title. You can win this division different ways. And I kind of thought it would be just more of a... You know, we're, we're rebuilding type division title, not we're contending type division title nationally. And and so I didn't think he would lose that many people. I already knew that there was a camp of people that were never behind him and probably waiting for Sam Darnold to leave, to strike. But I feel like his approval rating right now is worse than Trump's. In California. Mm. Well, yeah, and, and my point was, because I've seen it happen. You don't want to touch that comment, do you? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to steer wide clear of that one. <laughs> Can we talk about quarterback controversy some more? <laughs> um, my, my point when we uh, discussed that. Do you disagree about his approval rating? No, no, I don't. I don't. And that's kind of what I was getting at weeks ago when we talked about this. Like, I've seen this happen. Once you lose the fan base and 
by that, that can be a majority, or that can be just a very large and vocal segment. You, you don't get them back. I, I, I'm sure there's an example out there, but nothing comes to mind quickly. Yeah, Brian, Kelly, Brian Kelly's the one. And, of course, he fired his coordinators. Mm-hmm. He hit reset on the coaching staff, and he won back the majority of the fan base. That's a good example. Hard to do. I, I, it, it's very hard to do, and it's normally the first domino. Then, when recruiting tails off, that's normally the final domino. And we don't know where that's going to end up yet, but I think it's a very parallel situation with how many fans feel, or at least the most vocal ones. I, there aren't many vocal supporters. I, I'm sure there are supporters, but who you hear are the the growing contingent that has already moved on, has, has already closed the book on this. Well, and they haven't just moved on on the season. They moved on on him. No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I, You know, again, coming into this fresh, and this be my first true up-close evaluation, my perception was that he should have earned some equity, some leash from the last couple of years. But you can't be run off the field in every big game. And so I totally understand where the sentiment is and the frustration is. And I, I do think that he would have to make, I don't want to say wholesale, but significant staff changes to be given any benefit of the doubt from the people he's lost already at this point. And that, that's where I want to go with this. I, I want to ask you, this part of the comment, when he says, when we get done with these last four games, I'll evaluate everything and see what we need to do. Does that say to you that he's going to be open-minded, that it is his decision about making staff changes? No. I, I don't know what that means either. It's another question I'd have for him, another follow-up. Because while we hear that and we could easily assume because most all of us believe that they have to make coaching changes, that that's what he'd be inferring there. I don't know that we can assume that about Clay Helton. He might be looking at maybe some of the uh, their methods and things that they're doing. Uh, you know, some of the ways that he's kind of built the program. But, yeah. that, you know, it, it, that could just be, you know, internal stuff and, you know, and how they practice and, and which I'd be, I'd be evaluating all that as well. But he's made that comment before, you know, even last year when they were 11 and 3 about, um, you know, I'm going to wait till the end of the year and look at everything and, you know, and, and examine everything. And you know, he, he says these things and not that he doesn't do them, but. I don't know that it's in his heart uh, or on his mind to get rid of his coordinators or multiple position coaches. I mean, I'm sure that this entire staff will not be back. Like, okay. But that doesn't mean that you've really changed anything by changing one or two position coaches. They need, I, I think wholesale is the word. I, I don't know what constitutes wholesale, but 
there needs to be a change with one of the coordinators. And and one is more glaring than the other, for sure. Yeah. And and then there are particular positions that are inarguable that, that need to be changed. There's some that, you know, you could or you couldn't or whatever. But there are at least two I could think of that have to be changed. I don't know that that's what he's thinking, though. I, I really don't know that. And, and I, I, I don't even feel like late October's the, the time to ask him because it's not going to happen now. So there's and, no and, point. And, and, yeah, and in fairness to him, I mean, there's, there's no... He, he can't answer that question at this yeah, point. Exactly. He can't say that. Yeah. He, so. he can't, I mean, what he said is probably as much as you're going to get from him, but as much as you would probably get from most. Uh, now, not everyone's the same. Right? We saw Oklahoma part ways with their defensive coordinator early in the because, season. Because they felt they had national titles still hanging in the balance yeah. and, 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 and couldn't afford to wait and see it out. At this point, there's nothing hanging in the balance this season. Right. It's a different culture and... It's just a, a different way of doing things and seeing things. And I think this fan base wants that from USC. Never mind Clay Helton. They just they want that uh, from USC. And USC hasn't been that. They just, they're, they're, they're not that place. They, they don't do things that way. I'm not saying they should or shouldn't. They just, they don't. And, and to, to hope that they will is probably a waste of time. Well, so ultimately, it'll all hinge on what he really meant when, by saying we're really close. And that'll, that'll be telling the moves he makes or doesn't make this offseason if he is indeed the one making those moves. Yeah, that's a good point. Because if he thinks that they're really close to their division title, which they are, then he might not see the need to change a coordinator or change multiple position coaches. It's going to be a really interesting offseason regardless. And, and and I'm really fascinated by what happens to the rest of this recruiting cycle. Because, again, I, I know that the people who are already against Clay Helton don't think it matters who he recruits and that they won't get developed. But if, if they come out with a lackluster recruiting class for USC standards, I think that that just moves things even further uh, to a point that's hard to turn around. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that his window to, to come out of this, uh, to come out of this victorious is really small. I I don't, I'm not going to say the window's closed, but I think it's really, really, really small. I think that, he needs to be extremely urgent the moment that the season ends. I'm talking like the, the night of the final game. Yeah. Uh, and before the bowl game. Forget about the whatever that bowl game is. But, uh, you know, if they did sneak into the, the conference title game, but in all likelihood they don't. So I'm talking Notre Dame. That night, like, I, it is 2019, and... 
what like what do I have to do if I'm going to remain a USC coach? Uh, and my gut feeling, because I know it's a constant talking point, and it's not going away. It won't end with what I what I'm about to share right now. But my gut feeling is. Uh, he's almost guaranteed to come back as a coach next year. I think that what Lynn Swan told me last week was actually the complete truth. And not because he told me and I, I want to be validated with what I got or, you know, or, or what uh, I received first. Um, I just think that that's where things are at right now from the top down. There, there isn't a president. It's a new athletic director. They accomplished so much in his first two seasons for both the athletic director and the head coach. And Clay's been here a long time. He's not new to USC. Uh, now, you know, he's he's the guy that's been there the longest, basically. I mean, he... He uh, his tenure is longer than you know anybody uh, on the staff, of course, and uh, you know the the important the important people around him. You know he he uh, he's outlasted everybody, and I I don't think they're going to basically drop him because of an unfulfilling season with a true freshman quarterback. Uh, or true freshman slash redshirt freshman quarterback, if if we see more of Jack, uh-huh. uh, and now they they've been depleted, no Porter, Camp's been out for a while now, a lot of injuries, young quarterback. Out. Yeah, right? I, I think all this stuff kind of kind of helps them, whether it should or not, and uh, and now I'm assuming that they don't just collapse and, and lose every game. Right, if they were to fall, they were to end up four and eight. Because they're four and four right now, they could be four and eight. Then I'm guessing they're not going to be four and eight, right? Okay. Uh, even going five hundred, it, it puts him on the hot seat. But he wasn't on it to begin the season, even though that was maybe a narrative, uh, you know, with the public, and it has become one with the media. It it wasn't inside the McKay Center at all. And so, you, you can't go from 0 to 100 in two months, basically. And so, from my understanding, I mean, I've checked in on this, it's not just with Lynn Swan, but, but elsewhere. And really, I've been given no indication that there's really even consideration for a coaching change right now. And And you don't just decide that Overnight, at the end of the year, the, the ball has to get rolling before that point. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I, I think that's the correct read. Um, as we said last week, though, it's going to be near impossible to sell excitement for this team, this program, if they just run it back. So, if you're keeping the guy at the top, then you got to make changes below him. There has to be something different to sell people on for next year. And you, you know, you talk about approval rating. You don't need a poll. You can just look at the empty seats in the Coliseum yesterday. That was pretty telling. 
Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, this is right now their worst average attendance since 1987. Uh, that game alone was their worst since 2001. It, it's all bad, and uh, it it'll probably get a little bit better next year just because that stadium will have been renovated, and and people are going to want to be there for that. I think that this team will be better. And then, because I, I always thought that, I always felt like they were built to be better in 2019, and if managed properly, uh, a national title contender in 2020. Now, I thought that before I knew that they were going to play Alabama in their season opener, which uh, is a different can of worms. But I think that that team could be great in 2020, and uh, and you know even 2021. But they're going to lose quite a bit of momentum with the season with recruiting. That that will take a step back from what they what they brought in in 2017-2018. Those are two potentially monster classes. I mean, I know they were on signing day, but I'm talking about, you know, what, what the realized talent and uh-huh. what we're seeing this season. It's showing that you have a lot of good players from those two groups. But you, you need to stack one year after another. And uh, they they began with 2015. And then it actually kind of dipped in 2016. And they've suffered from that a little bit. And, and that's what we're seeing, I think, on the field right now. You know, the, the 2016 class not living up to expectation has affected this 2018 season. It takes a couple years, really, for for one class to kind of have an impact, good or bad, on, on a season. And it's not just one class alone, of course, but I do think that that is playing into what's happening this year a little bit. And, uh, and so if they, if they don't have a great 2019 class, then, you know, it, we'll, we'll see that. You know, not right away, but a couple of years after that. Sure. Well, we're we're over the hour mark here. We got a couple more topics to get to. Let's let's pivot to um, the latest devastating injury for this defense: Talano Talano fractured clavicle, collarbone, uh, out for the season. Probably, if you were to make a list of the players that USC couldn't have afforded to lose, he's got to be in the top three. At this point, no, no, no. Now, it would be for me. I, in terms of I, excitement, I, I think in just wanting the kid to, to grow and blossom, uh, this kind of stunts his development a little bit for sure. So very disappointing. And if you're already looking at the future, which uh, I'm sure you are, then yeah, th- this one hurts more than a senior. But if we're talking about like just this season, I realize the issues uh, at safety and the lack of depth. And he, he it will be felt, for sure. You're going to get Marvel Kell back, though. Uh, I wouldn't put him in the top three uh, in terms of, like, most valuable players right now on the team. No. Well, that's, that's two different things. Most valuable factors in performance and everything else. I'm just saying indispensable. I'm, I'm not saying most valuable. 
I, I would have okay. Biggie Marshall. I, I would have Biggie Marshall at the top right now. I don't. I don't if they if they don't have him, and they're having to start Langley and Johnson as their two corners. That to me would be the biggest loss for this team at this point. But beyond that, I go to the safeties where there's no depth. And when I ask Clancy, who are your options? He says C.J. Pollard and Jordan McMillan, and acknowledges you guys probably haven't heard of him. He's a walk-on. Like that's what that's what they're down to at that spot. So yeah. I I don't I don't know what other position at this point. I mean, if, if we're doing this a few weeks ago, I might have said Porter, uh, and factoring in the, the the value aspect. But in terms of players, you can't easily replace right now. I think he's way up there. Yeah, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Uh, again, we we don't know the long-term prognosis of Marvel Tell. That was something that was kind of quietly developing last week, and I found out Friday, Friday night actually, that he wasn't playing. Uh, so, so did uh, Jenna Harris. Right, yeah, right. we all found out together. Uh, I don't know what's next for him. There's obviously only a few more games left in his career. He was dealing with with stingers, which has to do with the neck and nerves. And so perhaps he he would get shelved for the rest of the year. I don't know. I, I thought he was coming back. So, again, when you make that point, I'm, I'm thinking that well, Marvell's coming back. Oh, yeah, I'm not saying he's not. Yeah. I'm not saying he's not. But, but uh, whatever. Yeah. You can rank Talano where you want to. Uh, I think very promising... And right now, defensively, they're uh, it's a makeshift deal. You know, they're patching together, and it will, a lot of spots. Yeah, a lot of spots. Yeah, it, we're going to see that you know matter versus Oregon State, and and every week it, it will be it will be an issue. It's been an issue. I mean, they they've already been playing this game. And having to move people and having to to use people that you know we have to go look up and, and make sure we know what number he wears. Yeah, Ver- Ruben Peters. Yeah. Um, but going back to Talanoa, it, it's uh, he's had an up and down season, but he's definitely had some really nice moments, and he's one of the guys you point to that gives you excitement for the future, and he may have had his best series of the fall pretty much right you know about 10 minutes before his injury early in the fourth quarter on three straight plays he has a tackle for loss on first down bats a pass down the line of scrimmage on second down and then uh, closes quickly and darts in to tackle the tight end for a one-yard gain on third down and force a punt uh, it was it was kind of his his showcase series and then 10 minutes later he's he's done for the season so Cruel twist there, but definitely a guy who put a lot on tape this fall and uh, an easy guy to be excited about long-term. Yeah, no, I really like him. I like talking to him. And I think that the combination of him and Isaiah Polamau can be formidable. I actually caught up with Polamau after the game, and he informed me that he'll be out for a little bit you know, he'll probably run through drills in spring, which is what he did this past spring as well. He was limited. He'll be limited again. But he does believe that 
he'll be full by training camp. And I think the two of them can be great together. And they're going to be young, you know. I'm not going to just hype it up and, and call them all American already. But I think they're both high ceiling guys. Yeah, no, that's going to be a nice tandem. I see a lot of that. I see high ceiling um, at different spots. Higher than before, you know, higher than, than they've had maybe in the last couple of years. I mean, they've had some star players, but I feel like we're seeing uh, more depth, you know, in terms of, like, high potential guys. Um, they're, they're not, they're, they won't be as top-heavy, I don't think, in the coming years. Well, before we go, I know you wanted to touch on the fourth down decisions late in the game, in the fourth quarter. You asked Clay about it afterward. Uh, I have some thoughts, too, but start us off and with yeah. that topic. All right, so the early one in the fourth where they're down by a field goal and they're on the 20-yard line. And you can, quote-unquote, take the points there on fourth and one. It was probably a, a long, you call it a long one. It was about yeah. one and a half. In fact, yeah, long one. Clay initially had them line up for a field goal, thinking that it was two, and then they called timeout, and he didn't get talked into it, and he didn't second-guess himself. What he did was he went and checked it. He went and looked at it, and he saw that, no, it's actually one. Uh, again, a long one, but it was more one than two. And therefore, he decided to go for it. I like the move a lot, because I just feel like, Okay, like play to win here, play to go ahead. Uh, again, you're, you're seizing the this isn't the national title on the line, uh, and your defense has not been trustworthy. You know they ended up giving up nearly 300 rushing yards. You need a score. They haven't been able to stop you for you know the entire half up into that point, and, and starting with the you know the late part of the second quarter. You should be able to get one. And there's just so many reasons that I feel like, you know, you're at, you're at the 20. Uh, it's not a gimme for them in a kicking game, right? It, it, they probably make that field goal, but definitely not a sure thing. So and, there's like, a lot, and there's a lot of time left in the game. So those so tying the game there right. doesn't bring any kind of, you're not forcing overtime with that kick. Yeah, so the, yeah, exactly. So the majority of the quarter left in the game, I like the decision to go for it. I don't like who they ended up handing the ball to. Arthur Cedric Ware had a good game and had been the league back. However, on that drive, you had Vivai Malapai, the most underutilized player in the team, break off a 41-yard run and then followed up with a 5-yard run and then doesn't come back on the field. I'm giving him the ball because he's kind of shown to be your most physical back. He was hot right there in that on that drive, on that very drive. I think he's your best between the tackles runner. I don't see how he's not in the field for that play. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And if, if you were to, if I were to ask you a few weeks ago, what is Vi's role in this team? 
Short yardage. Short yardage goal line back. I mean, that's that's how he was being used. That's why his touchdown numbers are so high. When, when they get in close to the end zone, they go with him because he's the more physical back, and they think right. he can get that t- that tough yard. No, you, that logic, great point. That, he wins touchdowns for this very right. reason. Um, so I totally agree with that, and I definitely would have gone with Vi, and I, I like the call to go for it. Watching that play over again confirmed what my initial uh, takeaway was, and it was really an execution breakdown, ultimately. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so they have Brett Nealon in there as as the the lead blocker, the fullback kind of guy, and he busts through the line, but where the, the timing was off, where was like two seconds behind him. Mm. And by that by that point, the linebacker had, had rolled off his block and closed that gap right open again. So Nealon got right through and, and cleared that gap, but it was way too early or it was just missed times. Yeah. And so that's something, again, I would have done differently, but I don't think it was like an egregious decision because where would be my next pick for that play? Uh, I just like Vavai better in that situation. I also feel like with Vavai, you might make the defense think a little bit more about what you're doing and it's not as much of a a telegraphed run. You're probably running, but you might not run with where I think you're kind of showing your cards a little bit more. Uh. Um, but again, uh, that's just something that stood out to me because it was a key point in the game. I know some people think that they should have kicked. I don't think that they're wrong. I don't think that there's like a, a, like a wrong decision here. It's more like good, better, best. And I think Bavai would have been best. Sure. You have more issue, though, with the second, fourth down okay. decision. Right. So I had just walked down to the field as that was happening. And I'm kind of getting my bearings. And I look up. And, you know, I, I know that they had second and one. And then they got stuffed. And it ended up being fourth and three. And there were four minutes left. And you have one timeout, and you're on your own 23. And as you mentioned, they hadn't stopped the run well most of the game. Yeah. Yeah, no. So, it's not an easy conversion. Like, by no means. You're not running on that play. I'm not. Not on fourth and three. However, you're losing. Okay? You're not tied. If you're tied, then you're punting. Because you're not going to give them, you know, you're not going to put them in the red zone. Yeah. You're losing the game, and you basically, you have to win. Like, to me, like, I'm coaching like it's a must-win game. Regardless of where they end up at the end of the season, uh, you, you have to win. And they were... Playing not to lose while they were losing, okay? <laughs> I really don't get it. I really don't get it. I asked about it, and Clay said basically what I kind of thought he would, but I have to ask the question. He, you know, he he actually called it dumb, which is funny. Uh, he, he called the idea of going for it dumb. Uh, he, he used the word dumb saying, you know, we came into the game saying that, uh, we were going to be aggressive but not be dumb. 
and he's pointing uh-huh. to both the fourth down decisions, meaning the first one that we just talked about right now was being aggressive, but going for it on the second one would have been dumb. That's what he's referring. He used the word dumb. Okay. Uh, with all due respect, I think it was dumb to punt. And I'll tell you why. Because he said, "We, I thought we could get a three and out, and then we got plenty of time to drive and you know tie or go ahead." Right, based well, on what ev- evidence. Thinking that you're getting a three and out was dumb. I'm sorry, and I know that you don't want to look at your defense that way, right? Uh, of course not. But you got to be realistic about what's going on. ASU was able to run at will for the majority of that game. And and everyone's tired. This is the end of the fourth quarter. They're going to run the ball. And what did they do? They just ran the ball five plays in a row, and they, they ran it too well. Instead of running out the clock like they were trying to, they ended up <laughs> scoring. You, right. can, you can argue that they shouldn't have scored, that they should have just sat on it and then let the clock run down. The game would have been over. By scoring, they actually gave USC a, a small chance to to pull off something crazy. And USC did score immediately, and they had the onside, which yeah, we, if, if they were we the onside, then they're in business. We saw Todd Gurley do that Sunday where he he went down and said scoring the final touchdown and out the clock. Right, because they, they can miss the extra point, and then they're giving Aaron Rodgers the ball back. Anyway, yeah, Todd Gurley made the right decision. I'm not saying that Manny Wilkins didn't. When you're going up two scores, that's different. Gurley wouldn't have guaranteed two scores. So a little bit different. The point is, ASU was so effective at running the ball that while you were thinking you're, you could get a three and out here, they just ran it down your throat and... And ran right through you, and they scored on it. I'm not giving them the ball, and there's another reason for it. Okay, let's say you don't convert. You have to prepare for that, right? He said, if they don't convert, then the game's over. That's not true. If you have so much faith in your defense, then actually, if you don't convert, again, they're right there at the 23. Then you can stop them there and hold them to yeah. a field goal, you're still down one possession. And you aren't winning the game with a field goal anyway. And you have to win this game. Therefore, you got to get a touchdown at some point. And now you're down six. A touchdown wins you the game. You're actually in a, a fairly good position, all things considered, being down six in that, in that, at that point. You are correct on all accounts. Well, while Clay may have confidence in his defense, I do not look at it the same way. And while everyone's going to be debating the quarterbacks for the rest of the week, I am really concerned about what they're going to look like defensively the rest of the season. Yeah, that's so, a fair that's, point. I hadn't thought about it, but their defense had been the backbone, and it's kind of come undone in the last couple weeks now. And it, it will be a problem. The offense will have to, it's going to be at least 50-50, if not more of an offense-heavy team moving forward. Where, I mean, early in the year, it was, you know, (laughs) it was all defense at certain points. Go back to that Stanford game, and, uh, you know, they're, they're getting demolished 
right? Without without the the defensive effort, uh, they're not beating Arizona without their defense. They're not beating Colorado without it. Even in Washington State, uh, a pretty big turnaround for the defense in the second half. Uh, I don't even know what the record would be right now if their defense hadn't been as good as it as it was. Yeah, it's just not it's just not equipped to be there at this point. Right, and, that, and yeah, the ASU game showed it. While I mentioned you know ASU hadn't given up thirty points, they they weren't scoring thirty either. Yeah, they they had averaged sixteen point eight points in their losses this season. Yeah, um, I you know watching that tape again, I, I I made the comment to you kind of flippantly in the press box during the game. I said. It, it looks like there's people out there in the middle of the defense, but when the play starts, there doesn't seem to be anyone there. Uh, watching the tape, I, I've just—I'm not sure I've seen more lanes opened up and more just gashing up the middle than what we saw Saturday. And this is now two weeks in a row where they've bemoaned missed tackles and and missed fits. And so, where's the confidence that at this point of the season, eight games in? coming off maybe your two worst tackling games, that's going to change. Now you lose your leading tackler from Saturday. Your safety depth is at an all-time low. We assume, or we don't assume, but Cam could be back. He could not. Uh, any way you slice it, I, I just I think the defense is going to be a problem the rest of the season. Yeah, yeah you're probably right. Uh, I, I'm... I mean, again, if I can have Cam Smith and Marvel Kell, then of course I'm trotting them out there. But I am in evaluation mode. You know, if I'm a coach on the staff, I'm trying to identify my best players for next year. And I am utilizing, you know, as much depth as I can. And I mean, again, coaching to win the game, of course, but. If you're trying to build a program, it's different in college football. Where in the NFL, like you're still, you're you're always kind of playing for the playoffs. You're trying to earn that playoff berth, and you're not going undefeated. You know that's not what what the the deal is there. You can you can win nine games and sneak into the playoffs or whatever. This year, there isn't much to play for, right? I mean, it, it's it's name your bowl game basically. Right, from our vantage point, but it, it comes down to how much security does Clay really feel he has. And if, if he feels that he's on thin ice or that it's tenuous, then he's not going to take that approach. He's going to use every option he has to maximize his chance to beat Oregon State and then beat the next team and the next team. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I don't think he's on thin ice. I don't think he probably thinks that. I know that he feels the pressure and... The stress, I mean, talking to him after that game was difficult. Uh, he He's a good man, and he's... He uh, is. He, he's feeling it. And you just watching it in real time, that's not easy. And, uh, you know, you, you know that he's devastated inside. And he's fighting to keep it together and, uh, and be a leader. And I, I think he's been very honorable. And, and how he's recorded himself, uh, the way that he deals with us, the way that, um, you know, the way that he kind of conducts himself uh, with, with everyone is, uh, I think, you know, worth, worth mentioning because 
you covered coaches getting fired, correct? Yeah, I, I'll tell you that it can be a nightmare. Oh, absolutely! I've yeah, I've covered coaches that are, just are a nightmare. Period. Right when, uh, when you're doing well. <laughs> yeah, uh, Clay is is one of the two nicest people I've dealt with in college athletics. Period. Any sport, any level, uh, and and that is a really strong compliment. And we did have a very strong conversation about the future of this program and his status, but it's that's not enjoyable to do. It's not like that. That was a, a fun, a fun topic to dive into because he is a great guy and you, yeah. you know, yeah, I, I, I want to write about something else. I feel like I've been writing about it for at least a month now, but yeah. I have to write about what's happening. Not exactly. You know what I want. It is what it is. But, uh, if, if he feels any, if he feels any insecurity at all for his status, then I don't know that he can fully sell out for developmental mode. No, no, point. no. Yeah, you're right. Uh, he has to win games. I, I'm still presuming that they're going to. I, uh, I know a lot of people are kind of throwing out their projections for the final four games, and most everyone's already counted Notre Dame as a loss. I'm, I'm in that camp too. But I believe they're going to win the other three. Um, maybe they lose one of them. You know, maybe they go two and two. But I don't see them doing any worse than that. And I don't think that they have to you know, kind of make every perfect move with the personnel or or play, you know, the absolute best player uh, at every moment to to do that, to accomplish, you know, a three-in-one record from here on out. I think that you can't integrate more of your younger players uh, you know, at different spots, you know, where, where it's, where it makes sense, you know, where guys have been prepared and, and kind of shown that they deserve that time and that opportunity. I'm not just trotting out everybody out. I'm not emptying the bench here. I'm not talking about that. And on defense, they're just trying to find people that are, you know. Well, on defense, they, they, have, they have to empty the bench out. Yeah. No, that's all that's left. So. Right, right. But, you know, maybe, I, you know, I think the offensive line, I, I, I question sometimes what's going on there because, they do have a. They have a lot of healthy, able bodies there that don't play a lot, and you. You know, there there are different spots where I don't think the person playing has demonstrated that. You know that they should get the lion's share of the reps. Yeah, well, a lot to monitor the rest of the season. Good debate tonight. Good chat. One more time. The promo code USC60. Sign up. Take advantage of the free trial. 60 days free trial. We've really put out a lot of great stuff the last couple of weeks, especially. I think we're hitting our stride right now. So join in if you aren't a part of it yet. Yeah, I want to and, make something clear to people because I do get this asked uh, quite a bit. You do have to put in your credit card because you're becoming a member, and that uh-huh. just comes with that. But you're not going to be charged anything. And you're going to get two free months starting now, meaning you'll get all of November and December, which uh, there, there's still a lot going on, not just with the team, but especially with recruiting, which will only heat up as uh, you know as things kind of uh, are in the balance with the football team. And at the end of that two months, if this isn't for you, then you can cancel. And you'll have never paid a penny. 
but I think you're going to like what you get. We've worked really hard. I think we've made we've made wholesale changes ourselves <laughs> as, as a staff, and uh, and we're just better. You know, well, I think we're we're a title contender for sure. And uh, rather than me just tell you that what, what I think, you can see for yourself for free. Well said. Good podcast, buddy. All right. Good night. Good night.